Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest left his home in Los Angeles, California in 2010 as a life experiment to combine work and travel to see the world. In the past 13 years, he has spent one minute or more in 81 countries with an average time of 58 days per country. Very specific. Over the past 12 months, he has traveled extensively throughout Africa and plans to spend at least another 12 months seeing what this amazing continent has to offer. Please welcome to the show, Sam Ravello. Sam, how are you? I'm good. Thanks very much for having me. My pleasure. Now, Sam, why don't you kind of talk us through this genesis, the idea of wanting to leave the States and go traveling and how this all came about? Yeah, I was living in LA to start my career. And during my 20s, started traveling a little bit more as I had vacation and stuff like that and you know, money to spend. Did the normal Caribbean and Mexico, as a lot of people in the States do. And then it dawned on me when I started consulting, like, hey, I could work a little bit outside Los Angeles while I have a contract, then come back where my, you know, where my bread is buttered, get a new contract locally and stuff like that. And I kept coming back just to kind of fill the rent. You know, sometimes I would rent it out, but then that rent would go away, or the renter would. This is before Airbnb, it wasn't so simple. And I kind of sold myself in this idea of doing it for two years. So I got rid of my apartment, go and parked my car somewhere. Still thought I would come back and live the rest of my life in the States, probably California. But during those two years, just fell in love with making a sustainable lifestyle out of it. So now it's been... 13, 14 years. Well, digital nomadism has been around for a while, but 14 years ago, it was certainly a lot different than it is now. Like now, everything, I think, pretty simple. It's all kind of laid out for people. What was it like 13, 14 years ago when you started this process? Yeah, well, I'm in Mozambique now, and just infrastructure challenges of finding stable power and good internet is a challenge. And when I started, I started in South America, and it was the same then. I've been back since, and more recently, you know, a decade later, South America's amazing. You can get anything you want in any of the big cities. But I'm kind of revisiting those early struggles. So yeah, there was less of a culture around it, you know, less kind of internet memes about being a digital nomad and the aspirational communities that come along with that. So there's a lot more people doing what I'm doing. But, you know, I have a pretty local experience usually. So I try and spend time with local people, 
And for many of them, including here in Africa, they don't even understand what it is to be a digital nomad. Sure. When I started traveling, it was the year 2000. So the word digital nomad did not exist. But I kind of look at today and go, wow, people have everything. You have a smartphone with a map on it. This did not exist. I had piles of paper maps when I started. Yeah, like you said, there's no Airbnb. We didn't have Uber. We didn't have anything like that. I had local bus charts and times and then try to figure them out in different languages of where I was going. So, I mean... It's awesome. Like, I love how convenient and easy things are. But to really get that different experience, you definitely have to push the boundaries, which is what you're doing right now in traveling throughout Africa. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of cell phone technology, so I work in tech, I do programming and I teach programming, but I got my very first cell phone in 2018. So I was the last person, definitely in my social circle that had one. And my thought there was, hey, well, I'm at my computer, totally connected. And that was a good 40-hour work week. But I loved the challenges, as you mentioned, of surviving without a phone. And also just the presence of mind that you have when you don't have the distraction. I've since gotten one. Of course, I love having technology along with me, but it is harder for me to set my own boundaries. Boundaries are definitely difficult, especially if you have your own business. Like I have to be quite ruthless with things and with a lot of my clients as well. Like a lot of my clients are like, well, just add me on Telegram or Signal. And then when I have a question, I'll ask it. I'm like, no, I'm a happily married man. I have two children. When I turn off my computer at work at six o'clock at night, I got like three, four hours to spend with my family and get a couple of personal things done. And I don't want to be messaging people back at 11 o'clock at night. So I try to keep all of my work on my main computer. That's it. It's also for security reasons. I don't want to take work onto my phone. But I try. you have to have some type of a division, especially when you're, own, you're your own boss or you're a freelancer or something like this, and, and put a break between those two things. Yeah, for sure. I typically engage with one client at a time, so I don't have to do too much juggling of clients. A lot of freelancers do. But with each, it's about setting those boundaries. And, and work-wise, I'm pretty good about setting a you know typical 40-hour week. Yeah, you're probably doing better than I am. The boundaries kind of blur quite quickly for me between client and friend, because most of my private clients end up becoming really great friends of mine. And I love spending time with them and I love going out for dinner with them and stuff like that. But if I had every one of my private client who had my personal phone number and could message me at any time of the day when they have some type of question in their head, I would never get anything else done in my life. So I'm like, I kind of think like, all right, if you're going to ask a question, then you need to go to your computer, you need to sit down, you need to write out a proper email to me. You need to put my name in it and, and a thank you at the bottom. Like you have to put at least five minutes into it instead of just like a little brain fart, like one little thing. But anyways, I digress. But I love my clients absolutely to death. But having technology and putting boundaries in place on these things, I think is is super, super key. And I guess that's just an overall general tip for anybody who wants to get into the freelancing or consulting or type of online business as they're traveling. For sure. I mean, I started as a consultant and that was the first kind of professional choice to accept a lot more responsibility for my own lifestyle, setting these kind of boundaries like that, finding your next clients, educating yourself, you know, things that as a full-time worker are kind of done for you, at least, you know, at a larger company. So similarly, the choice to be a digital nomad or even an expat in just one location long-term, you need to take a lot more ownership over your lifestyle. 
So both being a freelancer and a digital nomad, you have to think about what are all the parts of my life that are important to me? And if I don't make sure that they're balanced, as you mentioned about work or taken care of from fitness to creative interests to whatever it is that you know makes you excited about life, no one else is gonna do that for you. And I think for a lot of us who start out in a more typical living in one place longer term, being a full-time employee, you can count on your social network and your employer to bring a lot of those routines you know, to you and present them to you on a platter. So it's been something for me, that, especially during those first two years that I mentioned, giving it a try as a digital nomad, realizing you have to break a lot of the old mindset in order to make it sustainable. Well, it's amazing because as you mentioned earlier, there was not so much culture that surrounds digital nomadism. So I imagine you would have had to figure out a lot of these things on your own, a lot of trial and error and a lot of just piecemealing it all together. Today, we've got tons of content. I mean, we got tons of content on my own program about digital nomadism. I don't really consider myself a digital nomad. I consider myself an expat because I really moved to a place and incorporate and learn the language. But a lot of other people might consider us digital nomads because we're traveling every month to a new country. We're going all over the place. But we always come back to a home base where we've got our stuff and all of these types of more permanent type of things. So let's get into over the last 12, 13, 14 years that you've been doing it. Have you been on the road the entire time or did you ever settle down and get into that expat type of life where one place was really home? Yeah, some of the inflection points for me around two years, I decided to keep on doing it. And that was kind of a, a big move for me. And then also to kind of sell my friends and family back in the States, who I told all of them it was a two year thing, even you know convincing myself. So that was one inflection point. And then about four years into nomading, I found myself quite burnt out. And I also wanted to do a lateral move in my career and learn some new stuff. So I decided to be an expat for five years in Scandinavia. So Denmark, as I mentioned to you before we got started, and Norway as well. So there, living a life as an expat brought a lot of that routine back that I, you know, things that I mentioned about taking personal responsibility and stuff like, you know, so I settled back into, into a, a nice routine that took some of the pressure off me. But being in another country was still quite new for me and exciting for me. So I got to scratch the traveler's itch just by being in a, you know, in a, away from my home country. So five years of my 13, 14 were there in Scandinavia in two different places. The rest of the time, generally three months a country, which is the duration of the visa in a lot of the world for Americans. So that's the artificial limit that occasionally frustrates me, but I also really like just having that limitation so that I know I have to move on. So here in Mozambique, my 90 days is up around May 1st. So I got about five weeks left. So I've already figured out, you know, what's next for me. And having that time limit, again, pushes me along, which, which is good. So what was life like in Denmark? I'm super curious because as my listeners know, I'm Canadian, but my family's originally from Denmark. My name is my great-grandfather's name. However, I've never been to Denmark. I've been to 110 countries. I've never been to Denmark, and I don't speak Danish. It's on the list, but it's just, you know, I kind of go wherever there's opportunity. Like, if I have a chance to go there, then I go. But there's just never been anything where it's like, oh, come with me to Denmark, or I've got a conference there, or I've got something going on, because it's, it's 
pretty off the beaten path for, I mean, even though it's Europe, I mean, it's it's out there. Like it's not the UK or France where you're going to fly through these places. So I'm kind of curious, what was your experience like as an expat living there? Yeah. So I chose first Norway for a specific job and it wasn't the country I was looking for, but it was about I'm a game developer and working with game developers who surrounded themselves with a certain technology I wanted to get into. So I looked globally, you know, a lot of it in Europe and a lot in the States, but really globally for where I could get a full-time job doing this. It was kind of bizarre to me that there would be an opportunity in Norway. I'd never really thought much about Norway. Uh, I guess I knew there was big nature there, like amazing um, nature. Uh, I knew it was expensive. So when I settled into it, I found that the culture, it's very quiet. You know, it's just one of those countries that functions very well. Everything works the way it should from, you know, the banks opening on time to public transportation to people are punctual, you know, like something we take for granted in North America quite a bit. But globally, like here in Africa, for example, people have a totally different concept of time. So that uh, kind of clock, clockwork like functioning of the society. I really like that about Norway. People uh, all speak English very fluently. That surprised me. And then spending time around Scandinavia found that as a, a common trend that, you know, certainly anybody that works in tech is fluent in English, but I'd say the average high school graduate is fluent in English. So parts of that make it really easy to integrate, that things just work and you can speak their language because they speak your language. So getting along with locals makes it kind of deceptively easy, but the culture is very different. Norway and Denmark, where I spent the most time, people you know, it takes a lot of time and, and effort to get to know people. They have a very different concept of friendship, which for, let's say, Danes, where I spent more time, they'll form a really good group of friends in high school. And those are the ride or die six, seven friends that they'll see at least every year for a get together vacation. But if they're in the same city quite regularly, and it's a really big deal for a Dane to get into that group or to leave that group. So... I found even forming friendships over the years that I was there, it's really hard to break in. So you do spend time with other expats as well, just as a way to kind of get around that. Yes, I've seen this in some countries where breaking into the to the local groups and having local friends can be very, very challenging. I lived in the Middle East for eight years and I had a couple of Emirati friends, but getting to know Emiratis was unbelievably challenging. They were very close-knit. They had their own communities, large families, things like this. So I can kind of relate. Actually, I find in Latin America, it's much simpler. You can, here in Panama, where I am, I have local Panamanian friends and and it's very easy to know local Panamanians. And a lot of local Panamanians will marry expats and, and vice versa. So it's a, not a, a lot of those same type of barriers, I think. But I think that as an expat, it can be really interesting to have a mix of local friends and expat friends. But when I try to have expat friends, I don't necessarily want to have only Canadian expat friends or American expat friends. Actually, it's cool to be in a place where there's people from all over the world. So if you have friends from Asia and from Africa and from all over Europe and then other places in Central and South America, I think is pretty neat mix of things. When you were in Scandinavia, did you spend most of your time with the locals or with expats? And if it's the expats, were they North Americans or were they from all over the place? So for a lot of my travels, I try and spend time with locals, especially when I'm learning the language. So it can be really easy in 
Mexico, Central America, South America, to find English-speaking foreigners and never really need to use the local language in the way that you do if you want to socialize. So I'd been doing that for a couple of years. When I got to Denmark, it wasn't really for language reasons. I did study some Danish, but because you don't need it, I found it was like an interesting hobby, but I wasn't really bringing it into my, my daily life because everybody that I would spend time with was fluent. So it was more out of the cultural differences that I just had this hunger to hang out with people that were, first of all, had the time and interest to meet new people. I mean, Danes are really great people, but them, like Norwegians, I find they have this close-knit group of friends. You might get invited to some social events, but you're never going to quite break in there. So I would spend a lot of time with other expats. My company was growing fast at, that I was an employee there, and they hired a lot of foreigners, which is part of how I ended up being there because it's a well-educated, well-funded country for tech, and they have a small population, so they need to hire foreigners. So every week or two, there would be new people showing up from all over the world to my office. So that was one way. I did have a Danish girlfriend for years when I was there, so I was able to you know, spend time with all her group of friends, which is a mixture of locals and foreigners, but definitely I had a lot more of a local experience through her. Amazing. Yeah, it's one of those countries that I definitely want to check out, but this time in my life, I think that I'm I'm just kind of going where I'm asked to go. Like, if, you know, this summer I've I've got a conference in Georgia that I've been asked to come and speak at and another one in the Czech Republic. And I'm like, okay, let's just go for it. Two places I haven't been before, so I'm going to go. Maybe, I don't know, maybe next year something will happen with Denmark. But for right now, it's on not on the list, but it's it's very interesting to hear about your experiences there as an expat. So you lived in Scandinavia for five years. What was the ultimate decision to to move on or to decide that you wanted to start traveling again? I mean, the, the itch to travel was always there. As I said, being an expat is a little bit exotic and scratches that itch bit, but it's not quite the same. So once my you know professional learnings were met, what things I wanted to do to jump back into being a freelancer, but with some new skills, once that was there, I was pretty ready. You know, I, I no longer was in that relationship I mentioned, so I didn't have that good reason to stick around. So I resumed traveling again. And I'd mentioned I was a bit burnt out before Scandinavia. I think I got to traveling a bit too fast. You know, even within the, the three-month visa limit, you could still try to see too much in those three months. So what I ended up liking as the speed for me is usually one or two places in a country in those three months. So depending work-wise how busy I am, maybe six weeks in the capital city somewhere, if that's kind of interesting and stable internet-wise, and then hop around a little bit, especially if I've got a little break from work. And I'm in that mode now since six years, I guess, and feeling really good about it as far as meeting my life goals and making myself happy. Learning is really what I've learned over my life is my passion and being in this kind of lifestyle is a fantastic vehicle for learning from all the different cultures as well as just studying the languages. Absolutely. I don't think that there is anything on planet Earth like travel. For education to learn and to get a different perspective on the world, travel is absolutely number one. And, you know, it's been so amazing because I have 
two small children and now to take them traveling with us and see how it opens up their eyes. And actually, it's so funny because for them, it's completely normal to be traveling and exploring the world and things like that. And it's like, I don't know, it's just such an amazing thing. I'm still, after 23 years of travel, I am still as bullish and excited to talk travel with you today here as I was like my very first day when I left. I absolutely agree with you. I love traveling. Do you feel that that having children with your lifestyle felt like it comes with more challenges than the average big decision of being a parent? No, not at all. Like I've wanted to have children since I was a child and I was always wanted to have kids. And I really believe that the children should fall into the parents' lifestyle instead of the parents falling into the children's lifestyle. So my wife loves to travel as well. When I met her, she had been to maybe 30 or 35 countries. And now she's probably been to 60 countries or something like that. So she had traveled a ton in her life before we ever met. And when we got together, we decided, okay, we want to get married. We want to have kids. And we want to travel. And that's exactly what we've done over the last eight years together. And it was a no-brainer. Like There was just absolutely no way I was going to ever give up traveling and make a decision between the two. You know, I don't think it's like, okay, you have to... like To have kids, you have to give up traveling or either one of these. I, I say, do it all. I, I want to do everything in life. So Nice. So I understand, as you were saying, that the fast clip of traveling at the beginning made you feel a lot of burnout. I've definitely experienced this before in my life. Then you had a break period and you've kind of found your groove now, the balance between the two. If someone is trying to shortcut this process and kind of figure out what makes sense for them or any insights or or comments or tips or anything like that for people who want to travel extensively, but don't want to burn out and ruin it all in a really short period of time. Yeah, I'd say a lot of the thought process you can begin before you ever leave home. It's just looking at what are the parts of your day, your week, your life that you find enriching and making sure that you meet those as a traveler. I think breaking the original mindset that I had where when I was traveling, that means vacation. So I wasn't used to working while I was somewhere new and interesting because previously I would do my one or two week traveling trip to Mexico or the Caribbean. And that was the time that I didn't need to think about work. So fitting work into that and being comfortable to balance like seeing stuff that is interesting in this new exciting place and still furthering my career. So that balances like that. And then, you know, moreover, if you think about the typical vacation experience, it's like eating extra, never exercising, reading a book, getting drunk and suntan at the beach, which are all fantastic things. But you can't necessarily do only that as an expat. Even if you're lucky enough to pay the bills somehow, it's just not the enriching lifestyle. So finding the right balance where you're able to do enough things taking advantage of you know the lifestyle, but also leaning back on the routines that as an individual I value, but also you get your condition that there's a lot of parts of the human experience that you just have to do. We all feel that pressure, whether you're an expat or not and trying to figure out, well, how important is money to me? Because everyone's telling me it's the most important thing. Or, you know, how important is it to have a family? You know, is that a pressure that comes to me or that, you know, really comes genuinely from myself, as it sounds like it did for you? So I don't have kids, but a lot of my traveling lifestyle has been 
people asking me, well, how could you have kids, you know, with this? How can you have a relationship with that? Because, you know, in their mind, it seems incompatible. But as you've already addressed, you can certainly do both. Well, if you want to take some unsolicited advice from my side, I mean, when you know, you know, like if you meet someone and you want to have it all, like you absolutely can. I met my wife on an airplane flying to Germany and was sat next to her and we started talking and, and hit it off. And, you know, we've basically been inseparable for the last eight years. Wow. And we had the conversation and yes, we wanted to have children together. We wanted to do it all. So when you know, you know, and if you want to make it work, you will make it work. I mean, you can literally do anything you want in your life. As long as you're not harming someone, as long as it's honest and ethical, you can do anything you want in your life. And if you want to travel and have a family, then that's amazing. Then you should do it. And if you want to just travel and have fun and you don't, it doesn't speak to you, then amazing. Then that's your choice. Don't let anyone ever tell you what you can and cannot do. Because I had tons of people when I was younger saying, oh, it's good that you're traveling now. Get it out of your system because when you're older, you know, you're going to need to settle down and you're not going to be able to do this forever. So, you know, get it out of your system. 23 years, it is still strong in my system. <laughs> I still love it. Yeah. When I set my original parameters of I'm going to do this traveling for two years, I was thinking I'd, that I would get it out of my system. Wow. And during those two years, I really fell in love with it. I'd say when I meet people who are interested in being a digital nomad or I participate in that community, a lot of people are aspiring digital nomads, but they've never given it a try. So certainly, you know, as you know, in your community, there's a lot of people who are vicariously living through the experience, but either not sure how to start or they just feel it's not for them, somehow impossible. So as you said, I feel like everybody who takes responsibility for their own life can make it happen. And when people do and they give up after six months, I'd say it's, they didn't manage their finances. You know, they pretty much took a nest egg, they get out the door, and then they never quite, re you know, get around to doing the work they need to work to, to continue to make bills. If they get about a year or a year and a half, I think people burn themselves out by not balancing the lifestyle like, like I had as well. You know, maybe they're doing some work enough to pay the bills, but there's too much that they miss about what they're calling home. But I would say home is a mixture of the people and places that they know they're missing, but also a bit of that routine, a bit about feeling like they're each month of their life is bringing them closer to big goals. And for a lot of digital nomads who don't care for those things, they can look at it kind of like a, you know, that they're missing out on life. They're doing this like fun distraction of being a digital nomad. So, you know, as you mentioned before, you know, what advice would I have for people? I mean, looking at what's really important for them, they can even start before they take off, definitely saving some money so that they have a little bit of a, you know, nest egg to fall back on if they're don't have a clientele built up in whatever they plan to be doing. And then certainly start in the world where it's cheaper living. Well, I think Latin America is a fantastic place to begin for a lot of people interested in the Spanish speaking world. I think like Peru or Colombia are fantastic places where you can live pretty comfortably. And as you're learning Spanish, be able to use that in all the neighboring countries. So that's a win. Colombia is one of my favorite countries in the world. I think the people are so phenomenal. There's so many geographical differences, different types of climate there. There's so much history, especially when you get into the coast in like Santa Marta and Cartagena and these areas. Like what just a fantastic country. Like I'm just such a big fan of Colombia for sure. 
Me as well. That's one of my favorites. And people often ask me what is the best country I've ever been to. So the countries that I've returned to is my practical way of answering that because I'm choosing to go back to Brazil, to Colombia, to France as well in, in Europe. I mean, there's a lot of great countries. I'd say I've had positive experiences in all of them, but ones with warm weather, nature, warm people, that really is what I'm looking for. Well, you mentioned Brazil. Brazil is another one of my absolute favorite places in the world. My wife and I did birth tourism. So when she was six months pregnant, we flew down to Brazil and gave birth in Florianopolis in a small Whoa. island. In the, yeah, it was awesome. Right in the middle of the pandemic as well, where the rest of the world was locked down. We're drinking, well, I was drinking caparinhas and eating <laughs> churrasco. She was watching me drink caparinhas. We were both eating churrasco. But Brazil is another phenomenal place, like absolutely the coolest people in the world, amazing culture. And the music there is just unbelievable. We still put on Brazilian music for dinner, like a couple times a week. That would be our choice of music for dinner. That's fantastic. So your child that was born there, does that come with some citizenship? It does indeed. So my son is a Brazilian citizen as well as wow. others. And then we do what's called the family reunification visa. So we're able to get our permanent residency and a fast track to citizenship in Brazil through our son. So as I said, I'm a, I'm a big Brazil fan for sure. Fantastic. We have seen a ton of movement in the Bitcoin markets recently, and the influx of new wallet addresses and people coming into the space is insane. However, there are some serious privacy and security issues by using traditional exchanges and methods of Bitcoin. That's why I want to recommend every one of my subscribers to check out myprivatebitcoin.com. It is a detailed course on everything related to privacy and Bitcoin. This is for experienced people to the crypto space all the way to people new to Bitcoin. Go to myprivatebitcoin.com. And for expat money listeners, you will receive 25% off the program. Go to myprivatebitcoin.com to learn more. Now, to go back to your point on on the strategies to balance your life. A couple of thoughts from my side. I have always found that the faster you go in your clip of travel, the faster you are to burn out. You know, I took 18 months of backpacking through Latin America and I was just done afterwards. Absolutely like so, so tired. And then I've seen some people who work a couple hours a day and then will explore the rest of the world for on top of that. It sounds more like you're doing a full-time eight hours a day type of thing, or maybe spread out over seven days. I'm not sure. But that kind of helps balance things as well. I think that it's a how condensed time is opposed to how many hours a day you're spending on these things. So first of all, is that kind of a true statement? Would you agree with that? And then second of all, do you suggest people kind of block out certain hours a day and get into a routine for their work or just kind of fit it in wherever it makes sense? Yeah, I remember when I first started working for myself, even before I'd gone abroad, I had a career coach who was helping me set up being a freelancer and stuff like that. So she asked me one time how I would set my rate, just my hourly rate. So I said, well, I would think about what I need to pay my bills and I would divide that by 160 hours a month or whatever. And she was like, no, you <laughs> never work from the nuts and bolts of what you need. You look out there and see what's competitive in your market 
and how you can meet and exceed the value of people there so that you can be at the top end of that. So there's been learnings along the way that just flip my head around as far as like how to fit into my own lifestyle, right? So along the ways of traveling, I think what has dawned on me is the, you know, in every society, there's this line of what we're conditioned to do. And in the States, in North America, as a lot of the West, it's you got to get the best education you have. And then you want to get, at least in our parents' age, their ideal is like one job for 50 years. You know, the stability of having one employer for that long. Then during that time, you get the partner and then you rent an apartment and then you buy a house and then you get cars that get bigger every year. You know, there's this line of what we're expected to do. And the ultimate goal of all that seems to be maybe possibly you could retire a year or two early. And that's kind of where we're all headed. So uh, at some point of designing my own life, I thought, well, what are the experiences that I would want to have as a retiree? And how could I bring some of those, like maybe an older version of me would have different interests, but still, you know, the, the stereotypical retired man is going to play some golf, hang out with his family much more, maybe pick up hobbies, being creative or something like that. So I started looking at how I could do those things as I'm going. So I started around the age of 30. So looking at, I mean, language learning was a big one. That's a big time sink. You can spend a lot of time there. I really leaned into it. And thankfully I did because people who are just too afraid of the process can go years being an expat without ever getting anything beyond just ordering food. But leaning into that, especially my first language as an adult was Spanish, getting comfortable with the process, being cool to like make mistakes in public. It took me a long time to get comfortable to just like vomit out the words and be okay <laughs> that, hey, half of what I'm saying is probably wrong. And then as I learn more languages, there's an economy of scale with just getting good at learning the languages. But a huge part is just psychological, that the more comfortable you can be being completely new and vulnerable in a situation, you start learning so rapidly because you're able to, you know, eat the dog food and practice while you're, while you're going along. Yeah, there's not many things in life as humbling as trying to learn a new language. You can absolutely be killing it in business. You can have done all this crazy stuff in your life and you sit down to learn a language and you're like a child again, just fumbling through it. And it is a very humbling experience. I absolutely agree with you. And to your point of having to put the time in, definitely. Like I get so many of my clients every day who are like, oh, I don't have the knack for it or I don't have the gene or it's not in my blood. This is not how language learning works. You have to put time into it. Yeah. It is a measurable amount of time and there's there's things you need to do. And, and it's probably a lot more time than you would have ever expected. But if you can do it, you know, you learn the couple of techniques and skills and, and processes. You have a good program or, or a system in place that works for you. But then it's just massive amounts of input. It's just massive amounts of time that you need to spend with the language. Yeah, I think for a lot of us in all areas of our life, we want to get good first and then practice what we're good at. And like languages, like everything, it works the other way around. The more you can just just stumble around until you can walk and walk around until you can run. Like you really need to go through that. 
you learn so much more rapidly by putting yourself in situations where you have to learn the language. So socializing with locals and socialize with locals who don't know your language because you do find sure. in friendships and in romance, you end up speaking whatever your common best language is. So seeking out new people in your life that don't know English or their English is very basic, you know, that really helps you be able to use it as a practice. And sometimes people have this type of fear, like if they make a mistake in this type of thing, like someone is going to hate them or it's going to be dire consequences. Actually, people are really patient and they get pretty quickly that you don't speak the language. And so we'll be very understanding to go through these things with you. And this is not a life or death situation in pretty much any of the cases. Like I've, I've never seen where it's a life or death. So yeah, if you can put yourself into situations which are going to challenge you, that's how you're going to grow as a human being. If you only do easy things in your life all day long, well, I would argue you're probably not going to be a very interesting person. You know, it's these types of challenges that make us grow and make us go through these things. And that's definitely language learning and definitely with travel. Like to your points earlier on thinking that it's a vacation and trying to live your life as a vacation opposed to travel. Like I have learned patience so thoroughly. Like sometimes I think like it's karma. I was put back on planet earth to learn patience. And for that, I was given travel because, oh my God, I've traveled pretty extensively throughout Africa where you are right now. And it's like, you really have to have some serious patience in place. Otherwise your head will just explode. So. Yeah. I think as a traveler, when you recalibrate to the local time. So if you come from the West, you come from a place where pace of life's a little faster. Patience, as you mentioned, is a big learning lesson. And you just recalibrate that, like, even if I have a free day, if I have to mail something at the post office, that might be the day. You have to figure out where that thing is, how to do it, then just getting there. Then you, there's a lot of waiting because not everything works like a machine, you know? So it is yeah, definitely an exercise in patience. And you can use those as opportunities to spend time with local people and lean into the local experience, which I'd recommend, as opposed to just kind of cursing your way through, why isn't this like my home? You know, why isn't this functioning like my country? Yeah, absolutely. And you have to understand that the majority of the world is actually not so much like North America. I mean, 193 countries in the world, the rest of the world is is very, very different. And it's those cultural differences that you should try to embrace and, and understand. Why is it done like this? Why do people speak like this? Why do people eat food like this? You know, how did this all come about? I love all those little differences. And as you spend more time in a place, those become more and more apparent. A lot of the digital nomads who will spend three days here, four days there, one day here, and going around, I mean, I think that they miss a lot of opportunity to really dig into a lot of these details. I think that those details become more in your face the longer you spend in the time. Like I'm, I've been in Panama for four years now. I am still learning every single day things about Panama and the people and the history and what goes into this country every single day. And I've been here four years. So it's not like, oh, you're going to get bored or, I mean, it's just how deeply you're looking. Yeah. I think some of us who develop that mindset where every day is new and life's about exploring, you could certainly have that mindset in your home city where you're from and explore it like you never had before. So for me, travel was really about uncovering those tools and those curiosities and applying it outside of where I'm from. 
But certainly when I go back to visit my family, which I do every year for a week or two, I'm looking at my home city with a same kind of curiosity that maybe I didn't have before. First, because I've missed it and I'm, you know, kind of fondly looking at it again, but I have so much more to compare it to because I've had so many different experiences. So you don't take anything about your life for granted. The good moments and, you know, the hard moments, it's just a very different way that you start to frame your own life experiences because you're comparing it against so many different things, your own culture and other cultures you've experienced as well. For sure. Well, as far as anyone has ever been able to convince me, we have no idea how long we have on planet Earth. So you might as well try to appreciate as much of it as possible and learn from it. Like, yes, I have experiences in my life that were not fun, but what great opportunities to learn. And some of them were very painful lessons, but I'm still thankful for them. If you keep like wishing away your life or wishing it was some other way, I think that that's a real shame because who knows how long you're going to be here. So it's try to appreciate all of those things. Now, tell me, you mentioned that you go back to your home city and, and see your folks or your family every year. Do you get any reverse culture shock? Do you ever experience these types of things? I mean, probably in the first years of my travels, I experienced that more. Because that's been part of my routine, integrating it, it I don't think I, I'm shocked anymore. Okay. Nothing quite comes to mind. But certainly just living a very different lifestyle from everybody around me here, here where I am in Mozambique, or even when I go visit my family and my friends, you know, you have some common ground because of the monoculture that comes from looking at memes on the internet. So certainly you can talk about stuff like that. You can look fondly back in time and have the common memories and kind of rehash all old memories that you have together with people. But it's quite different, the lifestyle, and people don't quite get it. And part of me doesn't get the lifestyle now that looked so normal way back when. I kind of am envious of people who are in the same town they grew up in and started a family right out of high school or right out of university and settled right into that. That never clicked for me. But part of me is like, wow, that looks so natural. And then you get all these cues of society telling you, again, like I mentioned, you know, we all have this line that we're supposed to be walking from education to retirement. It looks like there's so much less friction to living that way. But I also know that while part of me thinks that that is in a way less friction or maybe easier or more expected, I've come to just love the lifestyle that I'm creating and getting used to stumbling around, as I mentioned, around languages and just kind of figuring out that I don't have all the answers for sure. And every year that goes by, I know even less in a way. So just getting used to that is one of the joys that I have traveling. Yeah, it's this weird experience I find when I go back because I don't go back every year. I go back every four years or something like that. And I find that the gap between a lot of the people that I knew growing up and today becomes greater and greater. And it's just more challenging to to talk about my life or what we're doing or anything like that. And there's just a lot of the conversations become very superficial and they don't even ask questions about my travel because it's so outside of their realm of understanding that it doesn't really make sense. So then everything is just that this kind of like one dimensional, I don't know, it, it's this weird thing. But I also understand your point about you know, looking around at people who got married and had kids straight out of high school or straight out of college and went into that path. And you look at it and going, it wasn't for me. Like I knew as a teenager or as a child, like I knew it wasn't for me. But I can also understand that like 
if it was for me, how much easier things would have been. But for me to be happy, I needed to leave. And it, it's been a lot of work. I've done it. I made these choices and I went through the difficult things and I went, you know, I put all of these a place and, and created the life that I want. And it sounds exactly like what you're saying, like you've created the life that you wanted. And if it could have been another way, then it would have been another way. But I think really, in the end, it couldn't, you know, I, I don't know if that makes sense. But like, for guys like us, this was our life. And for us to be happy, we needed to do the things that we needed to do. And it's just, there's no other way around it. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you there, both about how hard it is to relate to people who have lived such a different lifestyle. I agree with you. Well, I feel like this is our, our very first conversation together, but I feel like I probably have a lot more in common with you than a lot of people that I went to school with for 10 years or something. It's just kind of funny how that works. You know, I'm in Panama, you're in Mozambique, and we have so much common ground. Yeah, I remember reading an article some years ago about how if you have $1,000 because you get a tax refund and you're ready to think about like, what's a cool way for me to use this extra money? The article applies it to you know, two possible choices. Having a vacation, having experiences is what that boils down to, or buying a thing, a possession. So they're like a great flat screen TV. And it goes through like the pros and cons of both experiences versus things in life and spending our time and our energy and our money to each. And one of the anecdotes it gives is if you were to meet somebody new, you would have a longer conversation about a shared experience than you would about both owning a flat screen television, right? Which Fair point. could be a sentence <laughs> or two, which is quite cool. You're like, what model do you have and how awesome is that, et cetera? But if you'd both been to Panama for a week to go to the beach, or you'd both been to Paris one time to eat well and see the Eiffel Tower, that experiences bind us together. So I mentioned that both because it's such a beautiful thing to have more experiences in life, you have more to share it, but often, you know, if you're not on the same page with those experiences, people can't relate, as you mentioned. For sure. Well, I mean, you bring up Brazil and you see my face like absolutely light up, you know, and we talk about Colombia, we talk about these different places. and. We both have our own experiences in these countries, but it's so easy to kind of transport yourself back and, and remember a certain type of food or the music like I mentioned or something like that. And I just see you nodding your head because there's this shorthand between us. You know what I'm talking about and I know what you're talking about because we both had amazing experiences, even if they were at different periods of time or with different people. It doesn't matter those types of experience. There's a bonding there. For sure. Yeah, and I think becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable is part of my travel experience as well. And, you know, taking ownership to author my own life is something that came up because of the responsibility that comes with figuring out where I'm going next and as a consultant, how I'm going to work next. So there are things that I kind of stumbled into, but now as a person who takes more of that responsibility, thinks more about how these choices are going to apply to me, those are life lessons that I think everyone would benefit from. But the only way I figured it out was by traveling and really changing my lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Because traveling, you have to be quite purposeful. You have to be purposeful about everything. I mean, every time you're picking a new place, there's, there's just such basic things in life. Roof over your head, meal in your stomach, you know, it's what you're going to drink. Like all of these things become its own experience. It doesn't just kind of... Life just doesn't pass you by. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but you really do have to to think these through and be purposeful about it. And then 
all of it kind of adds together to make this unique experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's it's cool. It's very, very cool. So I'm curious, Sam, you're in Mozambique right now. You said that your visa is coming to an end. Tell me about your future plans. What are the things that get you excited? What are the places you want to visit or the the projects you want to do or where you want to explore? What's the future hold for you? Yeah, so I'm still loving Africa. I mean, there's tons and tons to see here. There's 50 countries and the countries are gigantic. You know, the the typical maps that we look at don't show anything near the equator at its real size. So because Africa spans that, it looks smaller than it is. I mean, you could fit China, Europe, and North America in Africa and still have room to spare. It is gigantic, right? So I've been a bit in the north of Africa, Egypt and Morocco and Senegal. Then I came down last year to South Africa, did a safari trip for some weeks around Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe, seen a lot of the kind of nature bucket list things. I'd never done a safari before and I've done tons by now. Um, just it two weeks ago. never gets old, by the way. It's just, it never gets old. It's still magical. A weekend ago, I went to the beach a couple hours away and on the highway, like a full-on normal highway, I saw 15 giraffe crossing the highway. So people are used to looking for animals and slowing down. So it wasn't like a near crash or anything. You're going quite slowly at that spot. But, you know, you have these experiences that in just big nature that are just mind-blowing. So things that I still want to do in Africa, I mean, a lot of it, I feel like I haven't even done it yet, is just learning more about the cultures, seeing the individual people in the countries, seeing the individual countries in the continent. It's like Africa feels like this blob that in the States we're educated, you know, that the whole thing is kind of one thing. But obviously the more time you spend in, you know, Central America where you're at, you begin to see all the different lovely distinctions between people and between places and stuff like that. So I know what's next for me is going to be more of Africa. And I've just this week kind of gone through the process, figuring out where exactly. So usually I think what's the next country by land. And even if I don't go by land, I'm just kind of methodically moving my way through. So I've done that now for the last five, six countries to get me here to Mozambique. But I've heard so many good things about Kenya, particularly Nairobi, as a hotspot for people to live as expats, to visit as digital nomads. So that's where I'm headed next. And as I figured that out, I looked at like, what are the activities that I want to do there? Definitely hiking. I mean, here I've done a lot of beaching, which is cool, nature-wise. I want to see the gorillas that the closest places is Uganda and Rwanda, but you can do that from, you know, from Nairobi. So you know, there's certain kind of animal bucket listy things, then hiking Kilimanjaro, which is a activity bucket listy thing. So figuring out those kinds of life experiences that I want to have, figuring out which ones work best in this geography. Last year, I had my first cold winter by choice as an expat. The Scandinavian ones were forced upon me, but I went to France by choice to ski. I had been years since I'd skied. And, you know, that was something I'd want to do. So I, you know, kind of chose where could I do that activity? What would be a great place to do it? I was learning French at the time. So I chose a place where I could ski and take French classes. So I did that for, you know, for last winter. So I'm really excited about more nature and just seeing more of the lovely distinctions between all the 
countries here, all the tribes within the countries. So Nairobi's next. Amazing. I've been to Nairobi. Now, I this was probably 10 or 12 years ago. It was probably one of the dirtiest cities I've ever been to. So hopefully they've cleaned up considerably. Like you could taste the pollution there. It was pretty full on. But when you get out of Nairobi, what a gorgeous country. We went to the Masamare. We did safari there for, I don't know, eight days, 10 days, something like that. Like we did five days and then we did another like two or three days in different places. And I understand what you mean about the animal bucket list. We had like, I had way back in the day, I got into scuba diving. So I, I went all the way up and did my master scuba diver. I did my open water in Belize, my advanced in Honduras, my rescue in Malaysia, my master's in the Philippines, something like that, and dove in 20, 30 countries. And I had like a fish bucket list of fish and sharks and whales and things that I wanted to see in my life. And when I traveled, I've been to probably, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, 15 countries in Africa. And I had an animal bucket list. I wanted the big five, and then I wanted the ugly five. And then and then I got into birds, and I started buying really nice binoculars and traveling and doing bird watching. Sounds super boring. It's not. It's amazing. It's actually incredible. And you start to learn about all the different ones. And you point to the silverback mountain gorillas. I actually took my mother with me to Uganda also probably 10 years ago. And we hiked in right in the borders between the Congo and Rwanda and went and saw the silverback mountain gorillas. And we reckon on that day, we were the only tourists on planet Earth to see gorillas in their natural habitat because you could see the the ledger from the rangers there and there was no one else signed in for that day. And Rwanda was not safe and Congo was really not safe at that time. Still not today, even not safe. But yeah, there's only a few places to see, but what an experience. It's almost eerie to see these gorillas. They're so big, they're so powerful and they're so human-like and you're like, wow. This is it's pretty intense. I'm excited for you, Sam. I think that I think you're gonna really, really enjoy it. I'm excited as well. I mean, having just done my first safari ever a year ago, I'd seen a lot of nature done hiking all through the Amazon, for example. But you know, the safari experience is quite different. But you know, a lot of what you were just saying there reminds me of these kinds of like what are the motivations that we have as travelers? Because with all the freedom to be able to go so many different places, I find mixing some personal interests and learning goals, as I mentioned before, as well as it's fun to tick things off, you know, tick them off the list. So having the big five animals and having, you know, different sports and activities that you want to do. I, I mean, some of it feels for me a little bit artificial. I'm kind of looking for a little structure, but it's also kind of fun. It's also puts, you know, there's Let's say in Latin America, I'd done so much hiking, years and years of hiking, which I'd never really liked it as a kid and, and as a young adult, but I got into it. And in, I find it like it becomes a little bit more memorable if I put a bit of structure to it. Either like, is this the highest thing I've ever done before? Or is it the coldest I've ever camped? Or, you know, whatever. So I, I like to balance a little bit of the, those kind of bucket list things. Definitely. A bit of structure. I mean, it almost becomes a game or a challenge. Like it's just a bit of fun. And I actually, I know exactly what you're talking about straight off the bat. I know exactly what you're talking about. For me, it was actually, it's never like an ego thing. It's never uh, to compare to someone else or to go, oh, well, look what I've done. It's like, 
That's not it at all. So anybody who's listening and think that that's what we're talking about, you're missing the point here. It's actually for yourself. It's just a little kind of mental game in your head to kind of keep track of things and remember it. And if I say the big five, I know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like for my scuba diving example, I've seen everything I want to see, but I've not dove with whale sharks. It's still on the list. Like sometime in my life, I need to do this. And I've been out a few times and there's supposed to be whale sharks there and they ain't there. And I'm like, ah, I got to get this. Just this little mental challenge. I just, I want to tick it off. And there's no real like, quantifiable reason for it. It's, it's not going to make me richer. It's not going to help the family. That's just something fun I want to goof off and do. But I definitely understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I think, you know, this idea, it reminds me of, you know, what is the value for each of us in doing something new versus repeating something we've already done? Both of them have certain things about them that are cool. Like I'm not a traditionalist, but I like when it's the third time you've done something in life or seen a movie for the third time or listened to an album for a third time, you get an increased amount of appreciation for it to a point. You know, so having some repetition, visiting a place for the second time, third time, it's cool. It deepens the experience. But there becomes a point, which I'm still trying to figure out what that point is, where doing something the 10th time, it's not really different than doing it the 20th time. And I've watched things that much. I've watched hours and hours of Netflix. But when I look back on last year, let's just use Netflix as an example. I can't tell the difference if I looked at 50 hours of Netflix or 500 hours, like now in the rear view. But I can tell something unique that I did in different countries or different experiences that I've had. So somehow taking these arbitrary rules that we give ourselves as a game for bucket list stuff, to me that increases my own exploration because I know that I haven't seen whale sharks, so I want to see that. And when the opportunity comes up, I get excited about going to that coast more because it fits into that kind of structure of something I feel like I'm missing. So I play that game a lot as well and think about, should I revisit a place I've been before? Colombia, I've been, I don't know, five, six times. Brazil, I've been five, six times. Or should I see a new country? And I try and balance those two. For sure. At my point now, at 110 countries, it becomes more and more challenging to see countries because a lot of the easy ones, they were taken care of 20 years ago. Now, what I'm doing is I want to show my wife and my children a lot of the places that I've been. So I've had really special experiences in certain places. And then bringing family with me is a whole nother level. So for example, this summer, we're planning on going to Turkey for a few months. And I've been six times already. This will be my seventh time in Turkey. But my wife's never been there and my kids have never been there and my mother's never been there. So to be able to take them for say two months or three months in Istanbul and then really dig into it and go through all the places that I've already visited, but now to show it to them and then kind of try to see it through my daughter's eyes or through my wife's eyes, I think that is going to be a really rich experience. And it's like that we took, you mentioned Colombia. I been to Colombia multiple times. I took my family there, not last November, but the November before. And we went for three weeks to Medellin and to show my family a place that is really special for me, a place that I really, really love. And then old places that I went for a coffee or a dinner or something like that and sightseeing. And I mean, it's just, it's neat to go back to certain places, especially as you develop as a person. I still think that there's a lot to see with fresh eyes. 
Yeah, doing it through family or friends, as you mentioned, is a really great reason to experience something more than once in life, for sure. I think that's fantastic. Do you ever bring your friends with you, your family with you on the road? Do they ever come and visit you? I've had some siblings and my mom way back when visited me abroad. Then definitely some friends who are more adventurous have come and visited me. I have two friends that are on my mind that have each visited me multiple times. I think, you know, they're at a place in life, work-wise, family-wise, where they have the flexibility, but also the, the sense of adventure where visiting me is a good excuse for them to see something new. And I absolutely love that. Often it's in a place where, let's say in the Spanish-speaking world, if they don't know Spanish, then I'm able to be the kind of translator, which is a fun role to adopt in those situations, even if we're seeing some place that's new to both of us, you know? It's kind of cool to show people around and be the, not tour guide, but I mean... Something that you understand a little bit better, even if it's just a little bit, but then, you know, take this type of ownership and this responsibility. I find there's like a little bit of pride. I have clients who come down and visit me here in Panama on a weekly basis. And we do client dinners two, three times a week. And I like taking them to different places and my favorite little spots. And I also have to translate. I speak fluent Spanish as well. So, you know, having to be that translator and it's, it's kind of a fun experience and it is very different and new opposed to just doing it by yourself. So that that extra dynamic and seeing how people react to things, I think is fun to watch. For sure. Now, as a traveler yourself, do you feel like each year your perspective is that the world is more the same? Like, wow, everywhere I go, I'm seeing a lot of the same stuff? Because sometimes I feel that. Or do you feel like, wow, with more time passing, I can see the differences between every place in the world? This is an excellent question. So I find both. I find that people are inherently the same. Doesn't matter where I go. I've been to North Korea and I sat down and had conversations with little old ladies. And I can tell you they wanted exactly the same things out of life as people here in Panama where I'm living today or where I grew up. That I have found that there are so many similarities between human beings. Now, as for the countries and the cultures or or the history or things like that, they can be so wildly different. And I never get bored of these types of things. I don't think that they're the same, but I think the the end result of, of what human beings want is definitely the same. I see more similarities than differences. Yeah, for sure. And and as a traveler who like I'm looking for new experiences, I notice that in any given country, I can find things that feel very familiar to me if I seek them out. Like for uh, extreme example, going to a, a chain restaurant that's from my home country, right? You can find fast food stuff like that in a lot of capital cities around the world. So you can find your way through what feels very familiar, very comfortable, less exotic if you want. Or if you go a little bit out of the big cities, get to places where people don't speak the language that you do, or even the national language. Here in Africa, there's tons of tribal languages that people speak in their homes, and you'd find more of that out of the big cities. So I'm trying to dare myself to balance those things as well and not just have a familiar experience everywhere I go. I'm pretty good about it. But, you know, I've gone kind of like a pendulum. A couple of years into traveling, I was like, wow, everywhere I go is kind of the same. And I think I was when I was getting burnt out a bit. But also you're spending time with expats and expats who all 
again, you speak kind of this internet meme, did you see this meme, did you see that meme, as a way to have common language. You're not really learning about whatever their home country is because you're talking about stuff that you have in common. So even within relationships, you can kind of have a very familiar, safe experience or kind of talk more about things that are fresh on your mind that you haven't quite mulled over. So it might be a little more of an awkward conversation, but maybe a more exotic and interesting one. So I have a friend of mine, he's actually been on the podcast and he's come to visit me a couple of times here in Panama and he's traveled extensively all over the world, used to live in Africa, really smart guy, fantastic investor. I remember the one time I went to meet him and I'm like, what you do today? He's like, oh, I went and got lunch at McDonald's and then I went and did this. I was like, you went and got lunch at McDonald's? Like you're here in Panama for three days and you went and got lunch. He's like, yeah, I like a Big Mac. It's like, I, I always eat McDonald's. I'm like, what? And then next time I saw him, so what'd you do last night? Oh, I went for dinner at McDonald's and I'm like, this, just, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, how can you come to Panama with like a thousand incredible restaurants here and so much amazing fresh produce and tropical fruit and fish and, and you're going to McDonald's. And I'm like, I don't get it. But for him, it's his comfort thing. He goes to McDonald's everywhere he is. He goes to McDonald's like, I don't know, probably three, four, five times a week. And he does it everywhere in the world. For me, this type of stuff doesn't, I don't quite get it, but I mean, to each their own, but I'm more like you. I want to go out there. I want to try all the different things. I want to experience it. And even if I was going to do comfort food, it certainly wouldn't be McDonald's. Like I'd just cook <laughs> up a big steak or something like that and I'd be happy. So. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Even, even the perspective of that guy that you're giving as a, as an example, I, part of me wants to make fun of somebody who does that, but I also get it. I mean, we're, as we're going through life, we're trying to be just comfortable enough that we're able to function. And everyone has a different tolerance for that. So for people who maybe have less traveled experience, they wanna lean a bit more heavily on that. I would say, you know, a lot of people who start out as a digital nomad, if that's just your unconscious tendency to stay at hostels, meet other expats, go to the restaurants that are on a blog, which means they're probably more expensive and more polished and more Western, right? That is an easy and very fun experience. But for me, I burnt out of that pretty quickly. Sure. Uh, I wasn't having really deep conversations because the people who are doing that kind of stuff are really looking for, again, an easy experience with easy conversations. And so it was about daring myself to do something a little different, to try to spend time more with local people, which is very awkward, especially as you're learning the language, you know. But ultimately, I think it's, it's more enriching, you know, to take a bit more of those calculated risks. Yeah, I agree with you. And I understand though, like I totally get where people come from. And I think it's a tolerance type of thing. You need to build up to this type of stuff and you need to keep pushing. And really, I guess the moral of the story is whatever you can do, whatever you feel comfortable with, do that, you know, because it's not for me to judge or say what someone should or should not do. It really, it has, it's none of my business on judging anybody on all of these things. We all have our own path. We're all trying to figure these things out. I'm just happy to be here to support people and, and help them through the process of traveling and exploring this world of ours, which I do really think is fantastic. Sure. Sam, amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? So my professional website is my full name, samuelasherrevello.com. I work as a game developer and a game development educator. So you can find out more about me there and I'm available for hire.
Amazing. Sam, thanks so much for your time and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. For those interested in moving to another country, I highly recommend learning the local language before you arrive. After traveling for the last 23 years straight, I have seen many people fall into the expat bubble trap. This is where you move to a new country and you only talk to people from the USA or Canada and you are unable to make local friends. The best way to combat this is by having an understanding of the local language. And the best program I have ever seen for this is storylearningcourses.com. These are the programs I use to go from very crummy language skills to fluent in no time flat. The courses are fun and easy to understand and most importantly, really work. No matter where you are in your language learning abilities, go to storylearningcourses.com. That's storylearningcourses.com to learn more. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.